Welcome to the Mass Bar Beat Podcast, the official podcast of the Massachusetts Bar Association. It's available free to members of the bar as well as the public, featuring lively discussions about important legal developments, interesting stories about NBA members, and helpful practical information about the law that matter to all of us. Today we look at some of the demographic data derived from the Massachusetts Lawyer Census, a collection of demographic information per a Supreme Judicial Court ruling that is solely to develop services and programs to aid lawyers, to help them improve their professional and personal well-being. We welcome the director of the Massachusetts SJC Standing Committee on Lawyer Well-Being, Heidi Alexander, who's here to tell us about the results and moving forward. Heidi, let's begin by looking at the history here when the issue of lawyer well-being in Massachusetts really started to take shape and how the lawyer survey came about. I'm going to actually go back to about 2014, 2016-ish. Uh, there, there were actually a, a couple of studies that were conducted on the legal profession, legal profession and also uh, law students. And what it provided us is it provided us with some data that we we were pretty sure we, we knew, um, which was that attorneys were suffering in in many different ways. Uh, They were suffering from stress and anxiety and depression. Uh, We have have high numbers of suicide uh, in our profession. And so there are all all these issues uh, around well-being. And um, that led to actually a group of, of people coming together and drafting this national task force report on lawyer well-being. And that really served as this catalyst for a, a real movement around well-being and thinking about these issues not as a reaction, um, but being proactive and thinking about how do we actually change the legal profession? How do we make systemic changes? How do we make cultural changes? to improve the well-being of the attorneys and the legal professionals. And so we've had lawyer assistance programs around uh, since 60s, 70s. Uh, we have one in Massachusetts, which is phenomenal, uh, and I highly recommend it to folks. Um, and But those really started as, a, as, as really responsive and dealing with attorney impairments. Um, and now uh, those programs and committees like ours, task forces, are really focused on these bigger structural changes. So the late Chief Justice Gantz actually commissioned a steering committee in 2018 to look at issues specific to Massachusetts attorneys. And what they did is they drafted a report which was published in 2019, and that set forth a number of recommendations for all different legal sectors in Massachusetts and also formed a permanent standing committee. And I was formerly at the Lawyer Assistance Program, and I came on board as a, as a full-time director, so I, I get to do this work every single day. Uh, it's highly rewarding work, um, but it also um, takes a lot of uh, incremental changes uh, because we know we're not going to change culture overnight. So that that's a bit mm. of the, the history sort of brings us up to where we are now. As you say, there were programs in place, but un, until you really probe what are the issues specific to this population, uh, you don't have as much to go on. Yeah, that's right. I, I mean, I do think, I think data is important uh, just to, to any profession. Um, I think it helps us to see where we are as a profession. It helps us to benchmark um, and, uh, and figure out what sort of programs and services we can provide. Um, and so 
I mean, there there's a great effort to collect more data mm-hmm. um, on the legal profession, uh, both in terms of the demographics, uh, but also looking at well-being outcomes and what are the um, what are the factors that actually contribute to well-being outcomes. Um, so we we we've been focused on both, which is one looking at the demographics of the profession, uh, and so I want I'll, I'll talk a little bit about that. Um, in Massachusetts, we have never had data on the demographics of our, attorney, our attorneys. So the makeup of our profession, you know, where do people practice? What county do they practice in? Uh, what are their practice areas? Are they practicing at firms? Are they practicing for public, uh, public service? Are they practicing in government? Uh, are, you know, what, what are their identities, right? What are their genders? What are their um, race and ethnicities? Um, and so we don't know any of that. We up until about 2019. So there was no data collection. Mm. And so in 2019, there was a voluntary survey that was a con- it was conducted by the SJC. Um, it had about a third of all attorneys respond. So it, it's a decent response rate, honestly, but it, you know, we want to, mm. we want, we want to know about all the attorneys. And so in our 2019 uh, steering committee report from, from our committee, that committee that actually recommended that um, we establish a system to collect demographic data on an ongoing basis and integrate it into the annual registration process. And so, you know, one of the reasons why we want to do that is because we have a concern over the lack of diversity in our legal community. And so in order for us to sort of benchmark how we're doing and be able to figure out, you know, what are, where are the areas we need to focus in on, uh, we need that data. So, um, so that that's that was back in, mm-hmm. in 2019. So we had some data to go on, um, and then we moved forward in 2020 when the SJC amended Rule 402 to actually include a requirement that all attorneys complete a demographic and law practice survey and. Um, and that is stated in the rule is that the results are used solely for the purposes of developing programs and services to aid lawyers. And, um, and since we're here with the, the mass bar, I should say that at that time when the SJC passed that new rule, they, there was a comment period. And the mass bar with its DEI committee actually submitted um, this fantastic comment in support of that rule and sort of all the reasons why this is really important. And so we have that up on our website and it's just a, it's written really well. There actually is an effort um, underway through the American Bar Association. Mm -hmm. American Bar Association is actually encouraging licensing authorities to collect demographic data uh, through their renewal process. And so there are a number of states that are starting to do this, um, and but there are definitely some differences in terms of what they're collecting. And so, you know, we're, we're really, we have really focused on um, identity, so making sure that we collect um, information on gender, making sure we collect information on uh, LGBTQ status, disability data, uh, and um, if I didn't say race and ethnicity as well. And so we want to be as inclusive as possible because we want to make sure that everyone is counted. And, and again, we know who is making up our profession and where we have gaps uh, gaps to fill. So 
you'd think it'd be easy, but um, hmm. it actually is also highly technical in nature because, and that's because of the anonymity. And so we work with the board of bar overseers very closely to make sure that that survey is integrated into the uh, the renewal, the registration renewal, but that the BBO doesn't have access to that data. And so we want to make sure that no, there's no personal identifying information. So the data is looked at in the aggregate. It's actually looked at by um, an independent third party uh, researchers. The BBO doesn't have access to it. Um, we don't have access to it. So we wouldn't have access to any of names or anything like that. It's not associated with BBO account numbers. So um, it, it really is uh, uh, you know, not personally identifying. And um, and there also are prefer not to answer options uh, on this survey right, as well. Right. Heidi, what about the latest surveys have surprised you and your colleagues? What are we learning from these? Yeah. So, I mean, I think in terms of the demographic data, uh, I think there's there's four highlights that we really point out, which is one, we have this growing population of lawyers that are 55 or older, which indicates this potential for this workforce shortage as lawyers begin, begin, begin to retire and we don't necessarily have people filling those, those roles. Um, we also have a majority of lawyers in the Commonwealth that are working for either a solo practice or in a small firm or organization. And so that's really meaningful too, because when we think about you know, programs and services and, and how people are doing and, and their well-being. And those are folks that we need to focus on. Uh, and so, um, and, and we do spend a lot of our time focused on, on those folks in terms of mentorship and healthcare and financial education and, and all that. Um, and then we, uh, of course, I mean, a huge reason why we're doing this is to look at the diversity of our profession. And it's not a surprise that diverse lawyers are underrepresented as compared to the the general Massachusetts population. Um, however, it, it is interesting in terms of when you break that down even further to look at specific categories, like for example, um, Hispanic lawyers are severely underrepresented. Uh, black and African-American lawyers are severely underrepresented um, as compared to the general population. So those are definitely groups that we need to focus on. We need to focus our efforts in terms of like pipeline. And I know Mass Bar does a fantastic job with their tiered mentorship program. Uh, but we need to really, really boost those efforts so we can bring, um, bring diverse individuals into the profession. So Heidi, let's talk about the correlation between those in certain communities who feel disenfranchised, whether they be racial, ethnic, gender-based, the correlation between excessive stress and what comes with that and these individuals. Yeah, so there, um, there's definitely been studies that have been conducted. Um, there will be a study that will be released by Lawyers Concerned for Lawyers uh, in the new year that's going to look specifically at Massachusetts attorneys and we'll look at differences in demographics as it compares to the uh, well-being outcomes mm -hmm. and they're looking at life satisfaction and mental health and suicide and substance use and all that and so we'll, we'll have some data on the Massachusetts uh, profession that I am sure will be quite enlightening but then we also have studies that have been conducted um, uh, national studies we have international studies and and those studies who have looked at uh, groups that have been historically um, marginalized uh, such as like people of color um, we are finding higher rates of suicide um, and I, I mean I mean 
necessarily generalizations, but that that was one um, that was one study that was conducted high rates of suicide, which was um, particularly disappointing. Um, you know, we'll see what we find in Massachusetts. We did. There was also another study on women and women leaving the profession and. Um, I think it was one in four women thinking about leaving the profession, and uh, and that was because of issues around well-being and burnout. Um, so yeah, so certainly, I mean that that's a big part of our work is um, is trying to figure out you know how can we retain uh, mm. diverse attorneys uh, and how can we make sure they don't feel isolated and how they feel included in the in the workplace. Um, and obviously part of that is going to be increasing the diversity, because if you're the only one that, you know, is a certain identi identity in a workplace, you, you're naturally going to feel, uh, sure. feel isolated. So the information reveals a lot. What can we do with this information to help small and large firms and individual lawyers improve their well-being, improve their ability to cope? Yeah, so there, there's a lot. Um, I mean, one of the things that our committee uh, is doing right now is we have a number of working groups that are um, that are coming up with a set of, I guess I would call them menu items or a list of DEI recommendations, and and they're actually going to be specific to each legal sector, so public service and big law and and small firms. Um, and so, so we'll, we'll be coming out with those soon. Uh, and those are things that certainly can be implemented in, in every sector. Um, but we're also like pursuing programs like management and supervisor training, which we know has a huge impact on, uh, on well-being. And so we have one right now, we have a management supervisor training uh, program running with attorneys at uh, Greater Boston Legal Services. And, you know, and part of that is, training people how how to manage um you know but also how to manage in this you know in the 21st century and and how do you manage a diverse group of people mm -hmm. and how do you manage you know people who are of a different generation right how do you manage people who are coming from you know who may have experienced trauma so we talk about trauma informed supervision and um uh you know and and there's there's all these different types of uh leadership like compassionate leadership and empathetic leadership and so th those are really important and i think you know for organizations those are the types of things that that they should be thinking about are um, right. training their manage managers and supervisors excellent point uh, another population i'm wondering if you're paying attention to it yet uh fed an opportunity is that uh, coming out of law school, the early risers, if you will, in the profession. I mean, there's so much stress placed upon students to pass the bar, to get through school to begin with. Is that something that uh, the committee is considering as well? Yeah. So um, so we have a, a legal education subcommittee that has done some wonderful work already in the law schools. But um, yeah, it's a, it's a hugely important group. And I, I, I have the opportunity to visit and, and guest speak at many law school classes. And, um, and it makes me very optimistic about the future of the profession, because these folks are, um, they are passionate, uh, they are demanding changes. And so, you know, I, I, I definitely know that once many of these folks get into the profession, they are going to demand that change, <laughs> change happens, um, not to put any pressure on them. But um, but we do have some like interesting. There was a, a survey that was recently conducted, which was a follow up to the 2014 uh, survey on uh, on law students. And one, two of the actually two of the points that they found was that one is that um, 
that students are actually seeking out mental health services. And so there is less of a stigma. And, you know, this may be a generational thing, um, but there's then there's more services available, um, but they're less worried about, you know, what people are going to think or whether it's going to impact their bar admissions, um, which in Massachusetts, we don't ask any of those questions, so it shouldn't. Um, but um, but they they're really they they're going out there. They're seeking help. They want help. Um, and they're and the study also showed that they're getting help. And so, you know, that's a big step because um, it is you know, we found time and time again that stigma is probably, you know, the 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 one thing that um, holds people back, particularly attorneys from actually getting help. And mm-hmm. I remember when I was when I worked at Lawyers Concern for Lawyers, We'd always, you know, we'd always find folks who would, who would come to us and, you know, we'd say, well, if they would, they would have only come to us three years ago, right? Mm-hmm. This would have been manageable, right? They, they wouldn't be in this situation where they're now being disciplined or, you know, di- you know, disbarred, right? Right. So, um, so I think that's a really good thing, but I, it also means that these younger attorneys, they're, they're demanding more and which means like firms have to take have to be aware of that. Like these, these attorneys are coming in, they're saying, Hey, what flex time are you offering me? Or do you have leave? You know, what are your leave policies? Uh, what sort of well-being benefits do you have? So firms have to pay attention. Otherwise they're not going to be able to retain these young attorneys, which are the future leaders. Of that the is, profession. that is exactly the point. I'm so glad you mentioned uh, the attention paid to them and the fact that they are making changes and it is generational. It is also gender based. I mean, men uh, traditionally are less likely to ask for help because it's not the manly thing to do, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But the stress mm-hmm. on lawyers is coming from all angles. It's the economics, it's the hours, it's the amount of work and so much of it, as you point out, can be examined under the auspices of diversity. If you're the only person in your area who's representing a particular population and you are of that population, likely to feel less wanted or less involved or less important. And that can lead to all kinds of self-esteem and other issues. Yeah. I mean, I think there's there are things that individuals can do their individual actions that we can take to improve our well-being but that that only gets us to a certain point and and to and so beyond that you know we've got to work on these like structural changes to the profession because if we have both of those things I think we're going to see some improvements in well-being. And it's also for the uh, legacy of the profession to move forward, the idea that it's going to thrive. And we need lawyers more than ever (laughs) these days. Uh, We need solid, competent people who are happy to be doing their work. And I mean, everyone has stress, but we need people uh, healthy. And that's the key. So how can people get information online to, you know, find out more about what we've been talking about? Yeah, for sure. So we we do have a website, uh, which is lawyerwellbeingma.org, and everything's there. We have contact information. Um, One of the things we are doing is we are developing an interactive uh, data tool so that people can actually uh, filter themselves the the demographic data. So if you wanted to look at a, a certain 
county or you want to look at a certain practice area and look at the demographics or even you wanted to look at the mass bar and the demographics of the Massachusetts Bar Association, you'll be able to do that. So we're hoping to launch that in February. So that'll be on our website, too. But I'm always happy to hear from folks. Heidi, we can't thank you enough for your time, your attention and the energy you're bringing to this, you and your colleagues, to certainly promote the well-being of attorneys who are human beings. They're people first. We thank you so much for that. Yeah, well, we we certainly couldn't do it alone because we work very closely with all the bar associations, particularly the Massachusetts Bar Association and their well-being committee. We are um, intimately involved and under the leadership of Marianne LeBlanc and Amanda Rowan, they have uh, been doing just fantastic things and have a strategic plan. And so um, with their efforts, in addition to uh, in addition to ours, we will we will make progress. So thank you. Thank you once again to Heidi Alexander, director at the SJC Standing Committee on Lawyer Wellbeing. The website for more, lawyerwellbeingma.org. You've been listening to the Mass Bar Beat Podcast, available free at massbar.org and downloadable on most popular podcast platforms, including Apple, SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, and more. Now, if you're a consumer in need of legal help, contact the Mass Bar Association's Lawyer Referral Service. Call 866 866- 627-7577. Again, that's 866-627-7577 or visit masslawhelp.com. Let us connect you to a lawyer today. Mass Bar Beat is produced by the Massachusetts Bar Association and we invite you to subscribe so you'll never miss a beat. This is Jordan Rich. Thank you for listening.